Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. From the grassroots to the elite, from the juniors to the pros, covering the Aussies trekking the globes to the champions internationally. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, your open space specialists. GLG, celebrating 25 years of industry expertise and exceptional service. Find out more at glgcorp.com. Evening, everybody. Welcome along to the first serve. It is your home of tennis here on a Monday night. Tonight on the show, US Open 2020. It's almost upon us. Our continued look on the back of our last two shows about the structure of tennis here in Australia from the grassroots to the pathway and a significant coaching appointment on the back of Tennis Australia's performance review and quite appropriate we get him on at US Open time. Brett Phillips uh, with you tonight just to explain my partner for the vast majority of this year, Sam Groth, who has made a great contribution to our show. The original plan for the first serve was to, well, certainly be on the road for about 19 weeks, including the next fortnight at Flushing Meadows. But as we know, all that went pear-shaped with COVID-19 and Grothy had an agreement to do a certain number of shows for when we'd be broadcasting here in Melbourne, which was to be spread from February through to November. But as there has been no travel for this show since March, Grothy has done his full quota of shows. But we are endeavouring to put another arrangement in place and we'll keep you certainly posted on that. Your calls are always welcome here on the first serve. one three hundred seven three six seven three six, or on the text on 0433981116. Now, I've made the trip to the last three US Opens. Absolutely loved it. Just being in New York, full stop, is a, a highlight. I love the energy of the, the Billie Jean King National Tennis Centre site when you jump off the uh, number seven metro train, you walk across into the ground. City Field is opposite, home of the New York Mets in uh, baseball. You then get into the grounds, and one of my one of my favourite hiding spots is a, a balcony-type area. It's right at the top of Arthur Ashe Stadium, the biggest of the Grand Slam centre courts where there is just this electric buzz and in the distance is the incredible New York City skyline. Now, unfortunately, apart from the host broadcaster ESPN, there are no other media permitted on site this year. Certainly the developing story today on the eve of day one has been Frenchman Benoit Paire, the enigmatic, mad, crazy, you can find so many adjectives to describe Benoit, testing positive to coronavirus, removed from the US Open men's draw, requiring isolation for at least 10 days. Now, contract tracing has been initiated to determine if anyone else has to quarantine for 14 days as a result of being around the player involved. Now, four fellow French players have been confined to their hotel rooms at the tournament until uh, further notice. So that is a developing story, and obviously we'll learn more as uh, play gets underway in the early hours of tomorrow morning, whether there may be some more withdrawals from the field. And obviously in tennis, there's always an alternates list of players who haven't made the main draw. 
who stick around on site and uh, and may get that opportunity to get in to the main draw of a Grand Slam. So certainly a developing story. We've been saying for the last uh, few weeks it was never going to be totally clean, no cases or no infections. I mean, this is a, a bubble that has been really well managed, but we know around the world this thing catches pretty quickly. Now, prior to this news uh, breaking uh, Sunday night in New York, uh, earlier today, I caught up with tennis journalists, a host and reporter, Blair Henley, who's on the ground at this year's US Open to preview all the action. It is surreal. I think I think that's the first word I would use to describe it. Um, it's certainly easier to get around. I think the players have enjoyed having extra space. But once you're here for a few days, you miss what this tournament is known for, the energy, the feel of it. I mean, we have a Grand Slam starting tomorrow and you don't have the same feel. Like even as a journalist, I feel like I sometimes have butterflies as you see more and more fans on the ground. It's just not quite the same. That said, I think the USTA has done as good of a job as possible in making this as safe as possible. This was no small task. Um, I think they've done as well as they could given the circumstances, and I think the players feel very comfortable, which is, I think, key to making this happen. Certainly been rammed home if I've been, you know, just keeping an eye on all the players' social media in the last week because there was a lot of scepticism. Uh, certainly from the playing group, whether you're you know, coming from Australia here or uh, coming from uh, Europe, and obviously a lot have pulled out, particularly on the women's side of the, at the top end, and people who, and I think even on our show, we, we thought at one stage it seemed like it was doomed that the US Open wouldn't go ahead. So it is, it is hats off. You would love to have been a fly on the wall in the last uh, three to four months to put this together and to actually convince everyone that, no, we're going to be okay. We're going to look after you. And, yeah, it seems to have got the players generally their thumbs up. Yes, I think there was uh, there was a lot of trust involved. I think, though, for the people who were saying, you know, we shouldn't even give it a go, there really, I, I think there was an economic reason to try. Tennis, as you know, Brett, it, it's its own little economy, um, sports in general, but then tennis specifically. And it, there is a trickle-down effect. And if there was a way to do it safely, and again, Again, keep a decently large amount of people here on the grounds to make this production happen and to allow people to see it on TV. But if it could be done safely, I'm glad they gave it a go because so many people's livelihoods, players and coaches obviously at the top, but then there are so many people who, who work at these events uh, that if we could do it, I'm glad they gave it a go and I'm very, very thankful to be here working. Now, you've had and have many roles in tennis, but I, I resonate because I do the court announcing for uh, Rod Laver Arena and the ATP Cup, and I did see your little Twitter clip as you were introducing one of the matches. I think it was out on Grandstand, and a huge crowd reaction that didn't come. Now, fingers crossed we're going to have some crowds in Melbourne come uh, January, all that to play out. We're under stage four restrictions here, so extraordinary time. But what about just in your role, where you're used to you know, feeling the buzz and the energy of the crowd when you're introducing players? <laughs> you're going to have to generate your own atmosphere. Right. You know, I've definitely gotten the question, why are you even bothering with things like music on the changeovers and in the walk-ons? And why are you bothering to do the, the walk-ons for the players taking the court? It's a combination of things. First of all, it's to create a little bit of energy and sort of a semblance of normalcy for the players and to have a little bit of fanfare and make it feel like they're going to actually play an official tournament match rather than going out to play a, a practice match with their buddy on, you know, on a Friday afternoon. Definitely an effort to create some normalcy for the players. The walk-ons are also being taken on the broadcast 
broadcast directly. And even if they're not being taken directly, you can hear that. You can hear the music coming in and out of the changeover. So even for the viewer at home, there's just, again, it's just to make it feel real because it is. I mean, these matches are, are there's money at stake here. The player, there are points at stake. And, uh, you know, we want the, the viewers and the players to feel like that as much as possible. Just from that TV broadcast point of view, will we see anything different for the US Open that we didn't see with uh, Cincy in, in the last week? I mean, we've seen some pro sports around the world sort of adopt some fake crowd noise or just different little innovations and gimmicks. Right. There will be some differences because ESPN will be stepping in as the, the host broadcaster. And I do believe they are going to have some crowd noise effects. In addition, in Arthur Ashe Stadium, I don't know all of the ins and outs of this, but I, I do believe there will be a way for fans to sort of record themselves cheering or a clip of themselves cheering. And they have these screens set up inside Ash that I think is going to, it's supposed to be a, a sort of a fan visual and allow the fans to feel involved as much as possible. So they're innovating as, as much as they possibly can, given, given the circumstances and of course, given budgets. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be great if we had, you know, unlimited money to spend on, on making it feel as, as normal as possible, but, but they're doing their best. What did you take out of Cincinnati? I mean, Novak wins. He is the best player in the world. There's no doubt about that. No, he had some issues with the neck and then disappointing we didn't get a, a women's final. There's been plenty of commentary around that. Should we have the losing semi-finalists step up and play in a final so that the you know the tournament actually has a final? I imagine that would be really disappointing for the tournament director and those linked closely to Cincinnati. What have you taken out of the, the last week of competition? I think overall, given the odds against that tournament even happening, and it's a tournament close to my heart. I've worked for them. Um, I've come in and worked freelance for them for the past four years. I think this is my fifth year. I was so glad that they could actually hold the tournament. The, the fans in Cincinnati, of course, uh, were missing having the action at home. But I think there was a feeling, even though obviously the final, the women's final didn't necessarily end how we would have hoped. And it was, it could have been a fantastic final. I mean, I would have loved, and Vika said, Victoria Azarenka said afterward, I had a chance to speak to her and she said, I really, really wanted to play that match. So I, I think it would have been a really good one uh, if we got to see it. Maybe, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll get a chance at the U.S. Open. But I think there was a sense of, of success overall just given the fact that we made it <laughs> and, and, you know, we figured out all of the new uh, uh, protocols and, and even doing a post-match interview and the way that that works with a shotgun mic for the player and the, the guys shooting behind me, you're having to be six feet behind me and I'm six feet in front of the player. So a lot of different factors that sort of had to be worked through. And the fact that those were done, I think we can say successfully now that we've seen the end of the event, I, I feel like there, there was the disappointment of not playing the final on the women's side, but also a feeling of success overall. And obviously, gosh, what can you say about Novak Djokovic? Not only can he do what he's doing on the court, but there is so much happening off the court and we could be here all day if we went into to that whole thing. But, uh, you know, he, he was doing his post-tournament press yesterday, left to go to that meeting with his new association, came back and finished press, didn't miss a beat. It's pretty incredible. Let's just touch on that briefly. So we learned across the weekend that he and Vashik Pospisil had resigned from the ATP Player Council. And there's talk now of a, a breakaway player council to be set up, not to replace the ATP Council, but uh, another group, if you like, to uh, have, be a real voice for the players. And there's there was certainly some talk that maybe some of the players had encouraged Novak to step aside. Just, can you give us just a little feel on the ground over there? Because it's been a fascinating year for Djokovic. I think he's a really interesting study as a person. He's obviously a champion of the sport, but there are just so many layers that the general public sort of don't see unless you're 
behind the scenes on the inner sanctum. His influence, at times people have called it Blair, his lack of influence. He's an, he's an intriguing figure. Intriguing is a great word. He's, he's fascinating to watch in more ways than one. But in terms of the feel here, it's, it's hard to gauge, mostly because you don't see players really in the same spot. Everybody is so spread out here, uh, physically spread out. What I will say, I mean, in general, I think it's tough to argue with what Djokovic is fighting for, which is more money for, I think, as John Worth said, more money for the laborers. And again, just sort of having a, an association to maybe advocate more for a player. I feel like I need to do a little bit more research on every little piece of this puzzle. But the overall sentiment, I feel like we can get behind. But then in terms of actually putting it into practice and the rollout and the PR and the press that's that's been there, sometimes not been there, not actively including the women from the start. Sashik said that, that we were, they were in talks, uh, that they could be involved in the future. It didn't start off that way. So again, there there are some potential issues there, but I think the overall sentiment is in the right place. Bit to play out. I feel like we've been discussing on our show, well, since March, when we went to Down Tools and we've been doing the show every week, but we've been talking about the state of tennis. What is tennis going to look like going forward? I mean, tennis is always trying to evolve and, and be ahead of the other sports in terms of innovation, in terms of the way it's presented. Obviously, there's the traditions that all of us who love tennis want to see, but you've, you've played tennis, you've been around tennis for such a long time. What do you feel tennis needs to do maybe to just keep being that appealing product? Oh man, that's a big question. I do think as much as, and I love so many of the traditions in tennis, I I don't think that we would miss three out of five sets in slams for men or certainly not in the early rounds. I don't think it would be a terrible idea to do two out of three up until maybe the semifinals. I think that, again, to think that people are are sitting from the very first ball to the very last ball of a three out of, you know, say a five set match. Can we expect that? Maybe from some fans, sure. But the idea is to expand the pool. And and that's what I try to do in my job. If, If I can do an interview or talk to a player and have them appeal to people outside the core group of tennis fans who are going to watch no matter what, that is a positive. And I, I think it's it's an issue in terms of, of the format. I think there are little things that could be done. I think it's also maybe a mindset that needs to change in terms of, of the way tennis is covered on some of the major broadcasters. It, it is a digital world that we live in now and people consume information differently. Again, what I try to do is to showcase players' personalities and their humanity because I truly think that is what creates fans for a lifetime it's you know it's great if they can hit a fantastic down the line backhand winder under pressure like that's fun to watch too but I think you can create the fans for a lifetime if you can show people and fans I would love for players to maybe buy into that a little bit more there is a a portion of what they perceive as as media that actually is on their team that wants to help them and wants to promote the sport overall and some players are on board and some players are willing to go outside the box I would love to see that sentiment grow. There's plenty of passionate tennis people that would agree with you there. And just a final one on what's going to happen across the next uh, two weeks in New York. You know, so many of the top women, I think, you know, six of the top 10 not competing. Does it leave Serena with her best opportunity? But there's still the doubt now as she's about to tick over to 39, whether she can win seven matches in two weeks. She's been able to win six, hasn't been able to get over the line in, what, four consecutive Grand Slam finals. She'd love to get to 24. Even being in Australia, we have Margaret Court with 20. 
44. I think it'd be a crying shame if Serena didn't equal that record. But the competition underneath is healthy, less intimidated than what they used to be with Serena. And then the men's side is probably a slightly easier conversation. But just give us your feel, anything you saw at Cincinnati, whether that's a good form line and what may unfold. There was an article that came out and I didn't have a chance to read it, but the headline was, I hope we can enjoy Serena without the specter of the number 24 and I'm guilty of this like without a doubt like for the sake of history and and talk about interesting people outside of the tennis bubble I mean that is that is international attention worthy but I hope that we can just enjoy the fact that she still loves it and still wants to play I think we've come to that with Venus and it's such I feel like it's such a pleasure because you just know how much she loves tennis and loves competing and that's why she's still doing it and is there a part of Serena that would absolutely love to get that 24 yes but I don't think she'd be out here if she was hating life. I, I think just to try to enjoy what she does so well on the court, maybe without those expectations, I think would make it more fun from the viewer standpoint, because it is like you just would love to see that happen. Yes, without some of the top players there, sure. I, I, I think, yeah, everybody's chances are better for, for a breakthrough. But like you said, I think there is a lot of depth on, on both sides, actually. Riley Opelka actually said that during media day on the men's side. He said, there are guys who if Roger, Rafa, and Novak weren't around that would have multiple slams by now. Um, you know, team Sitsipas, Medvedev, I, I think is another one who we're going to see. So, so there, it's going to be fun tennis. And I think just because some of the top players aren't there, I don't think that is going to decrease our enjoyment as viewers at all. Yeah, great to catch up with uh, Blair Henley earlier today, tennis journalist, host, and reporter. All thanks to Tennis Direct. Great to have him on board with us here on the first serve, Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices, free delivery on orders over one hundred and fifty dollars. You can head to their website, Tennis Direct. .com.au right now. And for first serve listeners, you can get a 10% discount store wide. So just use the promo code first serve at 10. So all up, we have 10 Aussies in the draw. Six men, Alex Demonor, John Millman, Jordan Thompson, James Duckworth, Chris O'Connell and Mark Polmans. And four women, Isla Tomlianovic, Madison Inglis, Astra Sharma and also Lizette Cabrera. Our women certainly have got some tough first round matchups. Uh, Demonor on the men's side, seeded at 21 and looking to better his uh, fourth round performance last year. A really solid US Open. Lost to Grigor Dimitrov who returned to form to make that semi of course. And just one on the tech so, Brett, what's happening with line judges at the US Open? Is it all down to a computerised system? Yeah, it is. Obviously, that's to limit you know, more people being on site. So it will be no lines people, live Hawkeye right throughout Flushing Meadows. Now, we saw this introduced at the next-gen finals in Milan back uh, 2016. I went to the inaugural edition. I loved it personally. Clean court. I was told the technology had been tested for 18 months and it was as close to perfect as you can get. So you'll have the computerised voice uh, yell out, the ball is out. And, well, the players for the first time actually can't dispute it. They love disputing a line call. Uh, Tennis players who always think a ball is in when it is uh, clearly out. So, yeah, keep an eye on that. We'd love your feedback on that over the next uh, fortnight. You can keep up to date with the world of tennis via our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Go back and listen to all our past uh, live shows with Aussies only, crunching the numbers. And in the huddle, also our three podcasts uh, up and running. We're here thanks to Top Agents Real Estate, servicing all of Melbourne. If you're looking to buy, rent, sell, have that property investment managed, Make contact with David and his team, 955-84599 or top-agents.com.au. It's great to have you with us on The First Serve. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG. 
your open space specialists. GLGCorp.com. Welcome back to the first serve, your home of tennis. Uh, love to take your calls tonight. One three hundred seven three six seven three six or on the text oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. With a positive test today in the bubble, as glad as I am to see tennis back. What does it say now about the rest of those who have been in contact with the player? What if there is more than one player? Well, yeah, Aaron, as I just mentioned off the top there, there are four other French players who have been isolated to their rooms pending further information. So the USTA is not actually going to reveal the identity of the players. L'Equipe, the uh, French newspaper, revealed uh, the player who had tested positive in uh, Benoit Pair. But look, we've always been told from day dot it won't derail the whole tournament. There is a list of alternates. If you test positive, you're out and the next one will come in. And there's uh, plenty of those still on site. So, yeah, let's hope, fingers crossed, it, uh, it doesn't get too big, no doubt. The last fortnight, we have uh, certainly put some focus on the grassroots and pathway here in Australia, and we'll continue to do so. I'll reiterate again, we are a show for all stakeholders in tennis. And as I explained last week, it was my reading of a particular post on the Australian Tennis Community Facebook group by Coach Bill McDonald that certainly grabbed my attention So I invited Bill on the show to explain his absolute condemnation of Tennis Australia and the member associations and how the sport has been governed. That interview a fortnight ago got a a huge amount of feedback from many tennis folk involved at the coalface of the game who contacted me via email, text and by phone from right around the country. And as you're aware, for those that listen in each week, I spent the first 15 minutes of the show last week reading out what I'd been sent to express the temperature of what a lot of people are thinking, described by many as a deep concern for some time now. Now, these are people, be it administrators, coaches, players who contacted me, who who live and breathe tennis day in, day out. You can go back and listen to our show the last two weeks if you have missed it, which we are podcast, of course. Since our show last Tuesday... I've continued to have discussions with people reaching out. I've been on a couple of Zoom calls and phone calls just just to listen and and understand, leaving me with this underlying feeling that they don't really have a voice to top office and are ostracised if they go against the structure put in by the top. Now, just here's a a few more little snippets I've received in the last week. If it is truly a members-owned, not-for-profit organisation, it certainly does not behave like one. There are affiliates screaming for assistance, and for the most of it, the only thing that the governing body can seem to do is employ more staff to carry out more TA policy, which has uh, come about by some overcooked survey commissioned out to some external company who knows little or nothing about tennis. Now, we all have to start talking way more, demanding better for our clubs, regions and states. Too often questions are asked and there are never answers given. We have a disease far greater than COVID-19 in our sport. It's called disconnection. We are generally way behind in advertising compared to other sports. We need more dollars and better spent dollars from the Australian Open. From a parent in particular, I've been told not to speak out by other tennis parents So sometimes I bite my tongue. It was brought to my attention by a listener of an article that Courtney Walsh, leading tennis writer for The Australian, wrote a while back, which I missed, of great concern is the impact that COVID is having on clubs and coaches and that largely they felt abandoned by the national and state organisations. As I say, I always want you to set the tennis agenda and be part of this show. So I, I handball that over to you. But We've been doing the first serve a long time, and one man who contacted me during the week, uh, I know he's, he's a great first serve listener, he's a great SEN listener. He used to live at beautiful Fairhaven down on the Great Ocean Road. Greg, uh, welcome to the show. Where, where do we find you these days, Greg? Oh, you which I didn't know at the time, but is central Victoria and uh, the most beautiful place. It's just 
just great. But before I uh, go any further, I've got to say what a wonderful job you do. You know, we're not in the height of summer. We're not in the middle of the Australian Open. If we were, you'd be exhausted because I know the hours you put in. To have tennis and to have it talked about at this time of the year, yeah, is uh, is fantastic job you do. Thank you, Greg. I, I appreciate it. And then we want to talk about the sport because tennis does not stop. Uh, it's a sport that just continues on all year. Now, you did send me a little bit of information about a project that you're undertaking. You've been around tennis for a long time, lived in different parts of Australia, coaching. Uh, you, you know so many people in the industry. And I was just reading an article that was written about your project, and you were quoted here as saying, I think the tragedy is the Australian Open by far is the most successful tennis tournament in the world for the four weeks it's on. And it's hard to disagree what a great tournament it is. And while Tennis Australia and Tennis Victoria have to be applauded to make that time pretty incredible, it takes away the real role of organisations to promote and build tennis in the regions. And Greg, the more people I talk to, this is a pretty common theme. I think it's true, but I don't think there's any value in shooting each other down. I really believe there's some breakthrough going on where coaches particularly are sharing information together themselves, not dependent on Tennis Victoria, not dependent on Tennis Australia, but choosing that they're not in competition with each other and different guys who got different skill sets and different knowledge and to share that is going to be really powerful and that's going on at the moment. The other thing is that during COVID-19 in some places in Australia you can still play singles so it's been an incredible privilege in the country areas where it's COVID number three level you can coach and you can hit singles and it's fantastic so I think it's doing a from a mental health point of view, it's absolutely one of the more brilliant things going on. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. And, gee, uh, we'd love to get out and have a hit. I would love to get out and punch a few forehands <laughs> right now. Let me uh, let me tell you. Now, there's a little project that you're undertaking at Strathbogie. I'm, I've heard of Strathbogie in Victoria. Just paint well, the picture exactly the... where it is. And, and, the un, and the unused tennis courts, Greg, that are in that region. Just tell us what you're up to. Well, I was driving around the region. Up in the mountains of Strathbogie Ranges are the most beautiful golf courses and tennis clubs that are basically not used. The last time Strathbogie Tennis Club had a team was 2005. So as I was driving around, I'd pass five or six of these clubs and I'm thinking, this is nuts. So I set up a little coaching business and I put an ad in the uh, Euroa paper and 17 families rang me and said, would you please have a hit with our child who's elite and, yeah. and uh, is 14, 15, 16. And I'm pretty sure this year uh, Strathbogie Tennis Club's going to open up again and we're going to field a team again in the uh, Benalla Comp. And um, I just see it as an unutilised resource sitting there, really. Fantastic stuff. Which makes me wonder around regional Victoria. I know that Tennis Victoria have regional managers or people who are going out, obviously you know, supposed to be liaising really closely with clubs and growing clubs. Yeah, no, there are people, fabulous people. Uh, the fellow at Shepparton, um, Luke's wife, coordinates the region. They're really well-meaning, enthusiastic. He spent his time learning at Kuyong and under Cedric Mason and these guys, fantastic young guy. But guess what? He's controlled by a committee. There's your, there's your problem right there. 
Tennis Australia, Tennis Victoria, they can have the best intentions, they can staff the right people, they can do everything right, but at the end of the day, every tennis club has a committee. And if I go into Strathbogie tomorrow and the part on my head is the wrong size, the guy can say, Greg, we're terminating you, see you later. doesn't matter what Tennis Victoria says or Tennis Australia says. It is nuts. The committee system for tennis in Australia is self-defeating. You know that time's always on the fly on this show. If I was to ask you in a minute or two, if you were given a blank piece of paper, I mean, you listen to our show, you've heard obviously just people's feedback across the country who are at the coalface of the game. How how would you structure tennis from that such important grassroots area to then building a really credible pathway that gives some kids some real hope, the ones that you know, can can certainly achieve something out of the sport. Tennis in Australia was the strongest when you had Shell Cup and Linton Cup and you had a lot of great guys playing, hitting the ball against each other. I wrote a paper for Steve Wood when he was CEO and I said, take control. When we were living in Blackburn, there were nine tennis clubs in Blackburn all doing poorly, all the churches, north, south, east and west, and the coaches were struggling. So take control, and unfortunately, this is not a popular view, but merge them into something strong. Put a physio in there. Put a boxing gym in there, like Geelong did. Geelong brought the boxing gym. It was great for boxing, great for tennis. Take control. I disagree <laughs> that the committee system, I don't, it's terrible. The well-meaning people trying to do the right thing, yep. but it's so different at every club. Take control, combine the resources, share the knowledge, and we'll flourish. I believe we're going to flourish. I think Dennis is going to go through the roof. Yeah, I think there's enough passionate people. If it, all the minds get together in tennis around the country, TA and people outside of TA have been able to collaborate and really connect close so that we can absolutely put all the pieces in place. So I just get that feeling too talking to so many people, but there's a little bit of water to You're go. You're doing a great it. job, mate. Good on you, Greg. You're Thank doing you a phenomenal for, uh, job. For as with soon us. as you can, mate, let's have a hit as soon as you can, and I think you're hitting that forehand a little bit late. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you. Great observant. I'm going to get up to Strathbogie. I need some country air. I've got to tell you, I need to get out of Melbourne, get out of the the bubble that we're in. Greg Rowe, uh, he's one of our great callers. He used to live at beautiful Fairhaven. All thanks to Tennis Direct, Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices, free delivery on orders over $150. Tennisdirect.com.au. Get onto them right now. First serve listeners, 10% discount store-wide. So just jot down this promo code, first serve. 10. We're going to come back with a very special guest and your calls and your texts here on The First Serve. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. glgcorp.com Welcome back to the first uh, Brett Phillips with you on this Monday night. We'll come back at the end of the show and just revisit on the back of that conversation with uh, Greg doing some fine work, uh, grassroots, uh, the whole pathway. We'll uh, touch on that in a few of your responses at the back end of the show. Of course, keep an eye on our website, thefirstserve.com.au. All our podcasts going up this week as well as our show tonight if you do miss it live. Well, almost a decade has passed since Sam Stoza won the US Open in New York. Her coach was David Taylor, who's been on a long coaching journey from coaching Australian players to high-profile players internationally, including Naomi Osaka, Elise Mertens, Madison Keys, Yelena Ostapenko and Arna Ivanovic. He's based over in Europe, but will be returning to Australia 
later this year to be part of the National Tennis Academy set up up in Brisbane, all part of the restructure from the uh, Tennis Australia Performance Review. Uh, David has been kind enough to take our call. Uh, David, welcome to the show. G'day, Brett. Thank you. You've been on a, a long, long journey in tennis and uh, you're now going to take up a pretty important role. Can you just take us inside? We spoke to Brent Larkham a number of weeks ago on the show, who's obviously going to be based at the uh, academy as well. And we, we've talked a lot on our show about the restructure and having one central academy as opposed to the state academies. Can you just give us a feel for your role and and what you've sort of taken out of the uh, the performance review? Yeah, um, I've obviously had a long, long relationship with Australian tennis, but, but having lived overseas for so long, ended up working outside the system also for a long time. Um, you have know, worked in an academy environment, a federation environment, and a private environment, and that's pretty much the three pathways for developmental success in tennis. Um, but yeah, lately, mostly just on the WTA tour. But actually, I'd known Brent oh, probably since 12 and under. Mm. So I actually played Brent in the 12 and under tournament in Strathfield from memory. So <laughs> that's a long relationship. And we actually worked together when Craig Kiley came on board, or oh, we'll be back now around 2008. Um, so, so we sort of had a history there. We, we were based out of the Australian Institute of Sport in Canberra then, um, and that's when I started coaching Sam Stoza, who, yep. who was uh, sort of starting a comeback at the time, and she was well outside a hundred. Um, so I ended up leaving that program and worked with her. Um, but yeah, definitely had some good memories working with Brent, and, and I think he's definitely the right guy to be heading up the new program. Can you specifically sort of take us inside what your brief is with your role? Uh, yeah, well, I guess, you know, I've, I've had a lot more experience on the, the female development side of tennis and, though you know, Brent's probably worked more with the male side of development. So I yep. think they were looking for someone with strength in that area. Um, yeah, and as I said, to sort of experience in, in all those pathways of development and, and, yeah, probably two of the longest players I've worked with were sort of development roles in a way. I, I started with Sam in her early 20s and, and Alicia Mollick's another one. I uh, started with her just when she turned 20. So my role now will be a little bit similar to that, but probably starting with girls a little little younger and then sort of getting them ready to, to, to put them off to someone who had done something like myself, so putting them off until... You know, just outside a hundred, and someone else will take over. David, I was reading some comments you made last year. And I think it was when you were about to take uh, the reins of coaching uh, Daria Gavrilova. We know that didn't quite get off the ground because Desha was injured and obviously has had a really tough sort of eighteen month uh, period. But you made the comment how the WTA tour had changed and that there was so many short term player coach unions uh, back in the day as you said you had Alicia for a while you had Sam for a while and there was some uh, you know lengthy uh, partnerships did that you know as you've been thinking through COVID as well which you know it's been a tough time for coaches were you thinking that gee I'd like to just come back and have a nice sort of steady role and, and make a great contribution back to Australian tennis because of the way the fickle nature of coaching on the WTA tour you're absolutely correct uh, yeah I look back on, on you know the last 15 years I've been on the WTA tour and well, probably longer than that, actually, but, uh, yeah, seven years stint with Alicia, seven years stint with Sam, a couple of years with Ivanovic and a couple of years with Osaka. So they were very long stints, but, but I had a, you know, a couple of players that were right shorter term, which sort of left me, um, you know, a little bit soured my relationship with exactly what I was doing. And 
I definitely got more out of developing a player. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a big motivation for me to get in contact with Wally Masu at the time and sort of express a desire to work in Australian tennis again and, and be part of something that's a bit more yeah, continuity and, and something that you could look forward to being part of instead of living and dying on a result the first week into a job. Can I ask you about just your observations about Australian tennis? I mean, we do a show here every week. We, we, there's a lot of commentary you know, from people outside the governing body, as you would expect, who have a, a view and opinion. And you know, there's many great tennis minds, as we know, in this country with such a, a rich tennis heritage and you know they point to the fact that you know we haven't produced a lot of homegrown players uh, for a, for a long time we haven't quite got it right the pathway now that that's worth i mean you could tap right into that and deep down as to what all that means but what what's your own take and do we as a country that's sort of so isolated uh, away from the epicenter of tennis do we punch above our weight or do you think maybe we're maybe not performing as well as we could oh look, i think we're doing pretty well as i said i, I was part of a when, when Tyler came on board, you know, 07, 08, um, you know, we didn't have hardly a player in the top 100 in women then. I, mm. I don't think we had one at one stage. So, look, since that time, we've had a couple of Grand Slam champions on the female side, and, and obviously the men's, we've historically done very well. Um, look, I think we're actually doing better than, than, than people sort of, you know, allude to. But I think the fact that we're a victim of our own success in you know the years when probably not every country was having a red-hot go at developing players, I think the, the sport, to me, the best comparison is, is football. As in soccer, sorry, living in Europe, yep. tend to call it football. But <laughs> everyone, is absolutely everyone is having a go and the standard of international football is just incredible. And I think that's like tennis now. You know, it's, they're the two world sports um, by far, you know, nothing else is as competitive as those uh, that every country is actually having a go at. But, you know, Australia, we have an incredible history of success punching above our weight in all sports. You know, you look at the Olympics, for example, where we've done historically very well despite our population and isolation. So I think we're actually doing well, but, but I think, yeah, every now and again, what's just happened in Australian tennis needs to be done. There's been a massive... Um, you know, a massive look into it. I've spoken to several people and obviously in touch with a lot of people in Australia. So I think that's a, a good thing because you do see little programs like, you know, I live right next door to Switzerland here and look at that country, you know, how they've been able to develop a lot of players. And I worked with Mertens last year in Belgium who produced a lot of players. So small countries are doing very well and, you know, that makes us, uh, you know, definitely have to get our act together. And I think the big reasons those countries that I've just mentioned are doing well very good coaches at a young age, yep. and, and I'm glad that's been that's been a big. Uh, I guess they're they're looking at how to, to bring the the formative coaches into the program more cohesively, and I, I, yeah, yeah, I definitely applaud that and, and support that. Um, I know the players I've been fortunate enough to work with. Every one of them had a a passionate coach at a young age that gave them, you know, the, the path to success. You know, a lot of people look at someone like myself, but I wouldn't have been able to get the results with those players if I didn't have a... If they weren't coached by a, a very good coach at a young age, gave them, you know, no limitations in their grips and yep. in their, their tactics and things like that. Uh, you know, I, I know I definitely tried to encourage Alicia to have a good relationship with her formative coach, uh, a guy by the name of Graham Neville. 
Sam had a young coach, uh, when she, Nick Watkins. Anna Vanovich told me a story when she was 12, someone changed her grip from an excessive Western to a, a grip she, she ended up becoming number one in the world. So without that guy involved, she never would have become the player she did. Uh, you know, Osaka had her dad. Uh, you can go on the list. But yeah. I'm glad that finally, you know, we're definitely uh, addressing that where the coaches sort of just got left behind and that should never have happened. No, exactly. Uh, spot on. I'm running out of time. I'd love to chat to you for an hour, but let's do it again sometime. It's going to be great to have you back on Australian soil. Um, you've got a, an unbelievable coaching uh, resume over a long period, David, and uh, look forward to seeing you You're back here in uh, in November, I think it is. And yeah, You can call me every night in quarantine because I'll be pretty bored. Good man. <laughs> we'll do that. I'll take you up on the offer. David Thanks. Taylor uh, joining us. He'll be part of the new National Tennis Academy up in uh, Brisbane. Starting from scratch, offer premium glass repair. Head to their website, startingfromscratch.com.au. They specialise in the removal of window scratches, bringing it back to its former glory, whether it's scratches on the sliding door that your pet dog has caused or a bit of graffiti uh, on the local milk bar tag with a knife. Uh, they will remove it. It's a magnificent company led by Macca and all the team. Back with plenty more here on The First Serve. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. GLGCorp.com Welcome back, our final segment on the first serve this week. I'd said I'd finish off with a little bit of your correspondence. I have plenty on the text tonight. So just back to our conversation around what we've been discussing the last three weeks with the grassroots and the pathway, and we had Greg on there. He's doing a, a nice little tennis project up in Strathbogie. Just the differing opinions. We always get that here on SEM. Whatever sport we're talking, he's spot on. Committees are the problem. Volunteers, many of whom have no tennis experience, are making professional appointments, and this is one of the biggest issues for coaches. The contrary view from Aaron, while I see the point Greg is making about clubs merging, sharing resources, I'm part of a small club that's been around for over 70 years. Our committee doesn't have ego or power-hungry people. The system works for us and has attracted a really great coach with great results. It's different in different demographics, I think. Uh, just on the broader world stage, the USTA are fully transparent. Number of staff and what each role is paid and where the money is spent. Why not the same at Tennis Australia and each of the state bodies? Why the secrecy? Now, we will speak to Tennis Australia over the next uh, couple of weeks. We had a couple of things lined up uh, tonight, and I've had a couple of off-air chats uh, across uh, the weekend, a couple of text message exchanges. So if we can do anything, it's just basically uh, creating a platform where Tennis Australia will listen, no doubt. They want feedback. Obviously, I think there's a lot of good people I know who have good intentions, but clearly there's a disconnect. And I think we'll keep the conversation uh, certainly uh, going. So stay tuned for that over the next week or two. And not sure why Novak wants a voice when they have one called the ATP. Seems like a reaction to the COVID issue he had. Can't imagine the players following him in the Dale and Federer aren't Daryl from Ringwood. Well, that's the issue, Daryl. Is it there's a lot of players who haven't got a lot of faith in the ATP. If you listen to Andrew Harris, the young Australian, who was on a Zoom call with Andrea Gudenzi, the ATP chairman, with a number of players going back a few months ago, they tore strips off him. Now, this guy hasn't been in the job very long. I mean, tough. He walks into the job, bushfires in Melbourne, COVID for this year. He replaced Chris Commode, who was ousted by the players in the tournaments. They need a restructure, the ATP, for mine. So the players want a bigger voice. And there's some of the top-line players who are going into bat for those low down the pecking order who don't earn the money that the top players do. They want 
a bigger spread for that pool to be distributed more evenly so more players can make a living out of the game. So that's why there's some opposition to the uh, ATP. Tennis Direct, of course, Australia's favourite online uh, tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices. Visit their website, tennisdirect.com.au. We'll catch you next week. Subscribe to the First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to the live shows you miss on a Monday night. Plus our weekly themed podcast content, including Aussies Only, Crunching the Numbers and In the Huddle, produced by Study and Play USA. Plenty of content to listen to weekly. Subscribe to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.